For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jesus Stories podcast. This is the podcast which tells the stories of the life and teachings of Jesus without preaching, and we tell these stories in an informal, informative, and interesting way. I'm your storyteller. I'm George Taylor. Our last episode, in that episode, we walked through the six trials which Jesus faced after his arrest, three in front of the Jewish leaders and three in front of the Roman government. He's gone all night without rest. He's entered the next day with a judgment rendered by the Jewish leaders and the mob stirred up by those same leaders, a judgment demanding that the Roman government put Jesus to death capital punishment could only be done by the Romans. But the Roman governor, Pilate, has some misgivings about putting Jesus to death, misgivings which will be overridden by a mob thirsty for blood. Today, Jesus will face the judgment of the mob. And I must warn you that this will not be an easy episode to listen to. It's a difficult story for me to tell. The scriptures sanitize these events to make them easier to endure, but the reality is that Jesus suffered tremendously, both before the ultimate tool of execution, the cross, and while on the cross. We'll talk about some of those details, but because of the difficulty in hearing and understanding these events, I'll even have to temper the effects somewhat. You may have to even listen to this episode in parts. But before we begin, may I remind you that these Jesus stories come to you with your support, both in prayer and financially. A podcast does cost money to produce, with a reach to some 2,000 people per month with the stories of the life and teachings of Jesus. This is a worthwhile effort. So if you're not supporting us, would you prayerfully consider a donation to help offset the costs of this effort? Not everyone can donate. I understand that. But some of you can. Just visit the website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab, and instructions are there to help you to help us. And finally, would you rate and review this podcast in your podcast player? It helps to spread the word about the stories we tell, and telling other people in real life also spreads the word. Click on Share This Podcast menu at the JesusStories.info website for all the links for sharing and following, and even a method to tell the story to the people that you may not even know. Sweetest that ever was heard. 
When we left Jesus last time, he and Pilate were standing in front of an angry mob, a mob whipped into a bloodthirsty frenzy by the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus to be crucified. The mob demanded the release of a murderous traitor, while Jesus, even though he was innocent of the charges raised against him, was to be killed. As the mob shouts louder and louder, Pilate acquiesces to their wishes. After all, he was instructed by Rome to keep order, and having an unhappy mob in the streets would not be orderly. Pilate then has Jesus flogged. Now, some research shows that Jesus was probably flogged more than once. There were actually three levels of flogging used by the Romans. There was a flogging or beating for those whose offenses were criminal, but lesser in seriousness. There was a more serious flogging for the more serious offenses. And the worst flogging was reserved for those who had been sentenced to death. The flogging which Jesus receives at this point, was probably one of the less serious floggings, probably the least serious of these floggings. It was an effort by Pilate to satisfy the mob, but not sentence Jesus to death. He still didn't believe that Jesus was worthy of execution. After the flogging, the soldiers take Jesus into their headquarters. They call out the entire regiment. It's time to have some fun with this king. They strip Jesus down, put a scarlet robe on him. They weave a crown made from thorns and press it into his scalp. They place a reed into his hand to represent a scepter. Mockingly, they kneel before him, taunting, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him, grabbed the stick that they had given him and beat him with it. Pilate goes outside to address the crowd. I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Jesus is brought out wearing the crown of thorns and the robe put on him by the soldiers. Pilate exclaims, Look, here is the man! Now, Pilate may have been thinking that the crowd would be sympathetic to the sight of a humiliated, beaten, and scorned rabbi, a rabbi who had healed and taught and shown love to Israel, but that is not the case. The leading priests and the temple guard begin their shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate, in exasperation, responds, Take him yourself and crucify him. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders have a ready response. By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. Now, Pilate is frightened. This trial is not going well. He has released a revolutionary to the crowd. The crowd is getting unruly. His mandate to keep the peace in Jerusalem is not being met. And now he is hearing that the man the Jews wish dead is called Son of God. Was Jesus a God who has come to earth? Maybe Pilate would incur the wrath of this God by putting his son to death. So he takes Jesus back into his headquarters and poses a question. Where are you from? Jesus doesn't answer. In fact, Jesus doesn't need to answer. He's already told Pilate of his kingdom. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, he has said already. Pilate either didn't believe Jesus or wasn't listening when Jesus made this statement. 
Pilate is still exasperated. Why don't you talk to me? Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? Jesus did respond to this question. You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus was probably talking about Caiaphas when he made this statement. It was Caiaphas as high priest who knew the scriptures, knew the prophecy about the Messiah, who had turned Jesus over to the Roman authorities with a demand that he be executed. Pilate then tries to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders had another card to play. If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Pilate's having trouble keeping the peace in Jerusalem. Having a rival to the throne alive would put his position in jeopardy with his Roman bosses. Pilate might be considered a traitor to Rome. So Pilate again brings Jesus out to them. He sits on the judgment seat on a platform called the Stone Pavement. This seat was used any time an official verdict was issued. Pilate tells the people, Look, here is your king. There is no small irony here. Pilate is mocking the Jewish leaders, perhaps giving them a chance again to change their minds about Jesus. But they will not. Away with him! they yell. Away with him! Crucify him! What? Crucify your king? Pilate asks. We have no king but Caesar! The leading priests shout back. This crowd denies the Jesus that they had seen perform miracles and healing. They lie when they shout their loyalty to Caesar. They want blood, and this is their way to obtain that result. Pilate sees that he's not getting anywhere with this crowd. In fact, a riot is developing, definitely not peaceful. He calls for a bowl of water. He washes his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. The crowd responds, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. As the crowd demands, Pilate passes his sentence for death, he releases Barabbas. Pilate orders that Jesus be flogged, scourged now, with a lead-tip whip. Of the three levels of flogging, this is the most severe. The prisoner is tied to a post with his hands above his head. Two soldiers use a whip with multiple ends. On each end is a piece of bone or metal or stone. As the whip lands on Jesus' body, the bone or metal will tear open the skin as the whip is pulled back for the next blow. Many times, prisoners would die as a result of this flogging. It was designed to weaken the prisoner before execution. While it is not known how many blows Jesus suffered, in Jewish law the number of blows was restricted to 39. Imagine, Having your body beaten and skin ripped open with each blow you received, this is just the beginning for Jesus. Pilate turns Jesus over to the soldiers to carry out the gruesome task of crucifixion. Jesus is led away by an execution squad of five men. 
It is roughly a mile walk from Jerusalem to the place outside the city known as the Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, it's called Golgotha. In Arabic, it is Calvary. On that mile-long trek, Jesus was required to carry the cross piece for the cross on which he would be executed. Now, can you imagine carrying this cross beam? It was probably some 70 pounds or more. After having been up all night, probably not fed, whipped once, brutally scourged as well, Jesus is weak, he's bleeding. So while the scriptures don't say it, it is believed that he fell on his walk. A passerby, Simon from Cyrene, was coming into town from the countryside, and the soldiers force him to carry the cross piece to the place of the skull. A large crowd trails behind this procession of soldiers and criminals and Jesus, including many grief-stricken women. Even in his debilitated state, Jesus has some words for these women. Listen to them. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, Fall on us, and plead with the hills, Bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus is looking ahead to the destruction of his beloved Jerusalem, an event which will occur some 40 years in the future. It'll be a terrible time, much worse than this event. And he's implying that since there is still time, use that time to repent and escape these terrible coming tragedies. Two criminals are among those in the procession going to the place of the skull. They will also be executed with Jesus. The scriptures rather dryly report, when they came to the place of the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Such a dry telling belies the cruelty which is crucifixion. This form of execution was not an invention of Rome, but they did perfect the practice to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. This was usually reserved for slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, and the worst of criminals. Yes, a man was nailed to a cross. Nails would be driven into the wrists. The knees would be bent and the feet nailed together through the ankles. As a man hung on the cross, it would become difficult to breathe. One would try to push up to catch and release a breath, creating great pain. In a weakened state after a scourging, this would become more and more difficult, and this would result in decreasing levels of oxygen in the blood, leading to asphyxia. That alone could lead to death. But it is also likely that there are other conditions created by the scourging and crucifixion which could cause the death of the prisoner. These include dehydration, stress-induced arrhythmias of the heart, and congestive heart failure with the rapid accumulation of fluid around the heart and in the lungs. This death was excruciatingly painful, and this is the death which Jesus faces. While on the cross, Jesus made several statements, all of them remarkable. 
Each is an example which the master teacher leaves for our instruction. The first one is a prayer of forgiveness for those who have nailed him to the cross. Father, he says, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The soldiers offer Jesus a mixture of wine drugged with myrrh to drink. This mixture would help deaden the pain. Jesus refuses the drug. And the scriptures then insert that this occurs about nine o'clock in the morning. Pilate posts a sign on the cross which reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It was written in all the languages of the area in that day, Hebrew, Latin, Greek. The leading priest didn't appreciate this sign and told Pilate so. Pilate stands his ground. No, what I've written, I have written. When a man is crucified, his clothing is stripped from him. The soldiers took Jesus' clothing and gambled to see who would get this garment. This was a fulfillment of scripture found in Psalm 22. People passing by the place of the skull harassed and mocked Jesus. Look at you now. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The religious leaders of the day joined in the mocking. He saved others, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and then we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The soldiers joined in this mockery as well. As noted before, two criminals were crucified alongside Jesus. One of these criminals joins in the mockery. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. The other criminal protests. Don't you fear God, even when we've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then this criminal pleads with Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus promises that he will. I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' second statement from the cross. John tells us that four women were standing near the cross, Jesus' mother, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus sees his mother standing beside John and speaks to her and to John, Dear woman, here is your son, meaning John, and to John, here is your mother. So John takes Mary into his home as his mom. Jesus' third statement from the cross. It's now about noon. Jesus has been on the cross for three hours. Darkness falls across the land, all of Israel, until 3 p.m. So at the brightest part of the day, the sky is the darkest. In Scripture, darkness implies judgment. Judgment against Israel? Perhaps. Judgment against Jesus? Maybe. He is taking on the sins of the world, the sins of everyone who had and will ever live. At 3 p.m., Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus' fourth statement from the cross. And these words are the first verse of Psalm chapter 22. That psalm foretells of all these events. Those listening closely would have understood Jesus and understood what he was teaching 
that this was foretold, this was planned, this is what Jehovah God had intended all along. But some passing by thought that Jesus was calling for the prophet Elijah. Jesus' mission is almost complete. To fulfill scripture, again from Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, he cries out, I am thirsty, Jesus' fifth saying from the cross. Someone fills a sponge with sour wine and holds it up for him to drink. Others said to wait and see if Elijah would come save him. Jesus tastes the wine, and then he says his sixth statement from the cross. It is finished. Then he shouts his final words, his seventh saying from the cross, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Jesus then bows his head and, quoting scripture, gave up his spirit. Now, you might think this is the end of the story, but the reality is that this is just the beginning of the story. We will talk about that continuation in our look at next week's episode of Jesus Stories. Jesus Stories is brought to you thanks to your prayers and support. We exist to share the good news of the story of Jesus to the world through this podcast. Leaving the conclusions up to you. Won't you join our supporters? You can find out how by going to our website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab. Don't forget to review us on your podcast player. only takes a minute. helps others to find us. Next week, Jesus' stories continue. Yeah, even with Jesus' death on the cross, the story is not yet finished. I'll share the story of some amazing and unexpected events which occurred after Jesus passed. Plus, we'll see that Jesus' prediction, his prophecy, that he would return, is fulfilled. How is that done? Well, check with us in two weeks for the next Jesus Stories episode. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.